This is episode 51 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're finishing up the 2009 Annual Enrichment Conference, Behold Christ's Beautiful Bride. This is session four, Wednesday morning, with Dr. Gary Brashears. Father, thank you for the truth of that song. Thank you for the songwriters, Getty and Townend, who put your truth in precious form. I just pray as we look into your word today and and think about the power of that death and resurrection exaltation of Christ. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the transforming power. Thank you for the great hope it brings. And as we do this battle with the dominion of darkness, Lord, grant us the hope of your kingdom, the power of your spirit, the victory of Jesus, the love of the Father. Control everything we do. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are here this morning? (laughs) Not many. Okay. Well, that's kind of what I thought. Thank you for great singing. We are uh, working through a, a trajectory here. Uh, And what I want to do this morning as we think about uh, where we're going with this is to try to look at a a little different perspective and look at this idea that we are kingdom people on kingdom business. Uh, There's a lot of questions that come up around this, and and we're going to, tomorrow I'm going to take some more time for questions. I've gotten several more. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be some more coming. But what I want to do today is kind of focus our lives, focus our thinking on this uh, this perspective of what God is doing in this uh, kingdom perspective. And there's, gosh, there's, there's so much to do here. I'm trying to think where to start and where to work with this. But let me just come back to uh, one of my favorite passages when I think about this sort of thing is Colossians chapter 1. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing to people who are very much into uh, angel worship. They're very much empowered by the, or in, in battle with the, the forces of darkness there in Colossae. There were major temples around there. Ephesus was nearby, Artemis, uh, the great uh, regional goddess that was there. And in this process, he just, I'm just going to take a capsule out of a, out of a, a whole thought here. Paul is saying, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, qualified us, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, question. And this is not hard. Uh, Trick questions will come later. What are the two kingdoms here? What's the first kingdom here in this passage? No, not darkness. The first kingdom is the kingdom of light. And we have an inheritance in that kingdom. Uh, what's another name for that kingdom in this passage? Kingdom of the Son he loves. Same kingdom. What are some other names for that kingdom in Scripture? Kingdom of God. What else? Kingdom of heaven. What else? 
in Christ, in spirit, in light. I mean, there's a number of names for that kingdom. Here he uses kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness uh, for those two. Uh, What is the other kingdom that's represented in this passage? It's the dominion of darkness. Now, just, I mean, we can't get into the mind of Paul, but why do you think Paul changed words from kingdom to dominion when he went from light to dark? I've read commentaries try to find some esoteric difference between kingdom and dominion. It's not there. They're synonyms. I I think he just did it because they're different. And just pointing out, uh, he could have said kingdom of darkness, but he chose to use dominion of darkness just to make the point that they're different. So when we think about this, we're thinking about two kingdoms or two realms. So one of them is over here, and which one is that? This is not hard. What is this one? Dominion. Let me just make it a little easier for you. What's this one? Okay, let's do this. Kingdom of light and dominion of darkness. Okay? So when we come back to this passage, uh, when he talks about us, who is us? That's the church, usens, uh, children of the light, children of God, children of the who have received the gospel. What's the gospel? What's the gospel? Jesus is Emmanuel, died, rose again, exalted, sent the Spirit. If we repent, which means what? Change your mind about who's God around here. And believe, which means what? Take God at his word, expressed in baptism. Yes, baptism is a command. (laughs) We get... Forgiveness of sin, new life, new community, new mission, and implied new destination. That's the gospel. Now, when you give the gospel to somebody, do you have to go through all of that the first time you talk to them? No, of course not. I I mean, take your piece of it. But gospel is a shaping thing for the community. Early on, start unpacking that for them. When somebody's been a Christian for 50 years, you still should be unpacking this for them. The gospel is what we're all about. But you don't have to, like, dump everything you ever had because it doesn't mention exaltation. Just don't skip it as you do your your gospel growth and what's going on. Good. Learn the gospel. I haven't made you memorize the definition of the church. I should do that, I suppose, shouldn't I? Maybe next year. Okay. So us... Where did we start? We started in darkness. Let's just make us here purple. My artistic abilities are huge. What does this guy look like? Happy or sad? Sad, yeah. So why is he sad? 
because he's still in Ephesians 2. He's separated from God. He's serving the wrong God. He's addicted to lusts, and God is mad at him. That's a good reason to be sad. Now, does he know that he's sad? Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing how many people I meet who are in darkness who are not happy there. They're trying to convince themselves they are, but they're frustrated. They worship the great God money. How's it done recently? Yeah, not so good. You know, a good thing to do is like give it away. <laughs> Mark said he's willing to receive it. <laughs> Amen, Mark says, yeah. <laughs> he rescued us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now, it doesn't say here, but who do you think is the like the chief dude in the dominion of darkness? Satan. Who is like the chief dude in the kingdom of light? Jesus, king of the son he loves. we got God in there too. There are kind of like three of them in there. Okay. Now, unpack a little bit further. We start in the beginning of darkness. We have an inheritance. What's an inheritance? Why do you get an inheritance? Well, normally it's a family thing, and it's upon death, normally. Uh, so the inheritance we get, the inheritance of the saints and the king of light, he rescued us from the... How did, how did... Well, let me just ask you. What did you do? What did you do to qualify to receive that inheritance? According to Scripture, according to this passage, what did you do? What did you do? to qualify to receive this inheritance. What does it say here? What did you do? According to this passage, what did you do to qualify to receive this inheritance? Nothing. How did you qualify? It's a father thing. It's the father who has qualified you. Now, Jesus is involved down here, like he shows up a little bit later. But at this point, it's the Father who does it. You know, Jesus is the right answer to every Sunday school question most of the time, but not here. What did Father do? Well, let me ask you this. What's the reference of he here? Who is he? That's the Father, not Jesus, not the Spirit, at least not here. Father has rescued us. Thank the Lord. Amen and brought us. Now, do a little parsing. Does that make anybody break out in hives to mention parsing? <laughs> Past, present, or future? Past. Command factor promise. You sure? Command factor promise. It's fact. Past fact. Is this a past done or past still true? Past done or is past still true? It's past still true. We're brought out and we remain out. Amen. Mm -hmm. So, when I come to my diagram here, the Father... Let's 
this is Father, has brought me over here. And now what do I look like? Why? Been rescued. I'm been are people in the are people in the kingdom of light, are they happy? Should we be happy? Absolutely. I'm amazed how many people say, Well, as a Christian, you're not happy, you're joyful. What a dumb statement. I mean, pardon my opinionatedness, but I am. Why do in the world do we tell people not to be happy? Be a Christian, you'll be wonderfully unhappy, and you'll what is that about? See, what we do is we let the world get by with a cheap happiness that focuses on things and privilege. We want a bigger privilege that has things and, and purpose and community and Jesus. <laughs> then you have deep happiness. You have full happiness. We call it blessed. Why do you translate blessed instead of happy? I don't know. A lot of translations actually use happy. Don't ever tell somebody, don't be happy, be joyful. Because you're telling them, be unhappy as a Christian. We don't mean that. We just mean a deeper, fuller happiness for Christians. Okay, kingdom of light, kingdom of light, dominion of darkness. Those are the two. Which one are you all in? Good, okay. Uh, Now, let's take this just a bit further. Watch. Yes, good thing. Oh, look at that. i got a couple minutes left. Isn't that wonderful? If we're in the kingdom of the Son He loves, what do we have? What's redemption? Nope, not the same thing. What's redemption? Bailout, yeah. Yeah, stimulus package. Oh, no, 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 no. Much better than that. Definitely not out of borrowed money. (laughs) Full purchase. Redemption in Bible. In Bible, where is redemption? Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing how many commentaries, when they talk about redemption or ransom, they go to the Greco-Roman slave market. In the Greco-Roman slave market, picture of redemption or ransom, who are the players in the Greco-Roman slave market. You've got a slave owner. You've got a what? Slave. You've got a buyer. And you've got some money. Okay, take that picture of the Greco-Roman slave market and make it spiritual. Who's the slave owner? Satan. Who's the slave? Usens. Who's the buyer? Father. What's the money? Jesus. So Father gives Jesus to Satan to buy us. Nothing about that picture works. Nothing. Except that we are under Satan. That's true. I mean, it's just nonsense. And we try to rescue with all kinds of clever stuff. The problem is we're using the wrong background. I suggest to you it's a huge hermeneutical issue. The background of theological terms in the New Testament is not the contemporary culture, it's revelation. Don't go to the Greco-Roman world or the Jewish world, the Judaic world, to find out what theological terms mean. You'll almost always get it wrong. Go to 
revelation. You want to know what God is or redemption or propitiation or any of those kinds of terms, covenant, go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, where is redemption? Well, it's Exodus. Who are the players in Exodus? Who are in the, the uh, who, who's the owner? Pharaoh. Who are the slaves? Israel, Hebrews. Who's the buyer? God. And what's the price? They're in the price. What does God do to Pharaoh? He graces him. He really does. Think about it. What does he do to this evil, evil dude? He doesn't drop a rock on his head, which I'm confident the Jews were praying for. What did he do? He came and said what? Let my people go. That's grace. That's grace. Calling to righteousness. That's grace. And he backed it up with miracles so powerful that the magicians converted after about verse 3. They said, dude, we're like, we're pros. You know, this thing to work, let him go. This, this powerful God, you know, we know. We're the best in the world. That's why you hired us. What did Pharaoh do? He kept saying no. Did Pharaoh ever say yes? Yeah, three times. But then when he got relief, he hardened his own heart. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God did. He said he would, chapter 4. How, how did he harden Pharaoh's heart? By gracing him. There are all kinds of people who tell you that he flipped the switch in Pharaoh's heart. No, he didn't. He graced him. And ironically, the grace of God hardens hearts. What a bizarre thing. So he came along and he graced him ten times. And the tenth time, okay, dude, that's it. And he killed him. That's what God does to Satan. Now, the gracing was way prior to history, I think, if it was there. I mean, we don't know that. But he does call him out and kill him. He doesn't pay a price to Pharaoh. See, If you use the Old Testament, then it all works. If you use a Greco-Roman slave market, nothing works. Same thing for marriage. Don't go to the Greco-Roman world. Don't go to the Judaic world. Go to Old Testament. It tells you how to do marriage, and there's a covenant for life. So redemption means that the prince of this world has been judged, and we have been brought out. By whom? By the Father. Mm -hmm. And what else do we get? We get forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's cool. And he's the image of invisible God, and he created the thrones, rulers, powers, and authorities. All things were created by... Who are these thrones, rulers, powers, and authorities? Who are they? Well, that's the demon stuff. That's the demon stuff. Like, Jesus created demons? That's not nice. Did Jesus create the demons? Did he create the rulers and powers and authority and all those things? They're created beings. Did he create them evil? We think not. Um, in fact, I'd be confident and say no, though it doesn't talk any more than this about it. We think, and I think, they were created as, as uh, positive beings who rebelled. In fact, we've got some hints about that in Scripture. 
Now, let me just unpack a couple things for you here, just to like mess with your heads a little bit more. Let's see, do I want to add anything to this? When we're over on this side, we have forgiveness and we have redemption. When we're over on this side, what do we have? We have condemnation. We are uh, serve the devil. And we're addicted to lusts, never satisfied. And uh, is there forgiveness in the dominion of darkness? There is no forgiveness. How many religions do forgiveness beside Christianity? How many religions do forgiveness other than Christianity? Zero. Check them out. In the other religions, if you commit a sin, whatever that looks like in the religion, what do you got to do? You got to pay. Look at Hinduism. Karma. What do you got to do? You got to do good deeds to make up for the bad things you've done. In Islam, what do you do? You got to do good works to make up for it. In, in, uh, well, you get my point. In Satanism, what do you have to do? You have to hurt yourself or hurt an innocent victim. In the pagan religions, the Native American religions, what do you have to do if you sin? You have to do sacrifices to make the Great Spirit happy again. There is no forgiveness in any religion other than Christianity. Why do we say Jesus is the only way? It's the only one that talks about forgiveness. And we don't do it. Jesus did it for us. I mean, you know all that stuff. Um, let's see. Mess with your heads. That's a good thing. Exodus chapter 20 is what? What's Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. What's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments? No, 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 not love your Lord your God. That's the Jesus summary. In fact, that's not even in the Ten Commandments. It's just kind of assumed. If you look in the New Testament here, it says you will have no other gods before me. Huh. Who are those gods? Who are those gods? I'll, I'll put the diagrams in here. And uh, Can I put those on the website? I don't know if I can. We'll see. I can... If you, if you want this with diagrams in it, send me an email and I'll send them to you. Uh, who are the gods in Exodus 20? Idols? Are they idols? Mm -mm. Idols are down here in the second one. The gods here are not idols. Idols are in the second one. Don't make an idol of anything in heaven above. What's in heaven above? The gods. What's on earth below? Animals, people. What's in waters below? Interesting how many idols are of 
water monsters around the world. Who are the other gods? Let me, uh, I don't have time to unpack all this for you, but let me just show you an interesting picture. Daniel chapter 10. Who's this about? Daniel. Good. What's he doing? He's fasting. For how long? Three weeks. And on the 24th day, it says, he saw a man. What kind of a man? Whoo! <laughs> wow. I mean, what an incredible vision he has here. I, I've never met a guy like this. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but they were terrified, and they ran away and hid themselves. I left alone, he says, was left. My face turned pale. I was helpless, and I was slain in the spirit. Overwhelmed by the terror of this vision, he is face down on the ground, sort of unconscious. I mean, he's grasping for words to describe what's happening. What is this that shows up for him? Say an angel. Thank you. Good or bad? Good. Mm -hmm. So this angel reaches down and says what? Yo, Daniel. Something like that. And what does he say right away? Don't be afraid. In an Irish accent, no doubt. <laughs> Since you set your mind to gain understanding, humble yourself before the Lord God, I have come in response. Okay. How long has he been praying? Mm -hmm. Long time. Three days, or uh, three weeks. And he says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Who in the world is the prince of the Persian kingdom? That's an angel-level God, Bible speaking, G-O-D, God Elohim. Same word is used for the God, Yahweh, that's used for these angel-level critters. Elohim is just a word that means spiritual beings, and it can be the God, Yahweh, or it can be prince of the Persian kingdom. Now, prince of the Persian kingdom, good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. He is harassing. What's, what's the name of this angel that shows up to Daniel? Don't know. Don't know. His, he don't get a name for him. Then Michael. Who is Michael? He's a good guy. Yep. Chief prince. Sometimes we call them archangels or higher level angel. Came to help me because I was detained by the king of Persia. No, he changed names, so king or prince doesn't really make any difference. And what did the angel come for? I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for a vision concerns the time to come. What is Daniel praying for in this passage? What is Daniel praying for in this passage? Understanding. Understanding. He wants to know, like, what's going to happen? He's had a vision. He's had a picture. A picture of the future, and he wants more of it. So he's praying, God, show me what's going on. Show me what's going on. And the angel comes, gets harassed by the prince of Persia, 
Daniel is not praying power into the heavenlies, contra Frank Peretti and George Otis and the cosmic spiritual warfare people. And he do, they talk a bit. And when he's done, he says, okay, good guy, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to head out of here. Uh, I'm going to like return and fight against the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece will also come. Who's the prince of Greece? Another angelic being. So, this is Yahweh. How many of them are there? Three. <laughs> In one. Mm-hmm. And over here we have the prince of Persia. We have mentioned the prince of Greece. In Isaiah 14, we have the prince of Babylon. In Ezekiel 28, we have the prince of Tyre. A lot of people see those as Satan. I think those are angel-level critters of the same thing as the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. They're angelic beings that are over uh, Persia as a nation or an ethnicity. Uh, They're over Greece. They're over Babylon. And we have a lot of others. We have Chemish, who is the over Moab. We have Moloch, who's over Ammon, and lots of others. So there are a lot of these guys. Who is the head dude in this crowd? Satan. Now, I just suggest to you, just to cause you trouble, except I think it's true, We have a little ethnicity down here called Islam. I suggest to you that there is a critter at the top of this called Allah, who is the same level as the Prince of Persia or Prince of Greece, may be one of those. It's interesting, when I teach in Beirut, and the Christians, what name do they use for God? Allah. When it's Islam talks about the head of their religion, who do they refer to? Allah. Did you catch the difference? Christians talk about Allah. Muslims talk about Allah. There's a difference in accent. They all know who you're talking about. It's the same word, but different accent, just to make the difference between them. Since I'm causing trouble, let's cause just a little bit more trouble. There's another ethnicity down here, another big dude up here. And he is often called Elohim. And he is over right? Mormonism is a religion that I think is in worship of a high order spiritual being who they call Elohim, and an angel associated with that is called Moroni. Check out the characteristics of their God. It has nothing to do, no similarity whatsoever, with Yahweh, the God of Christianity. 
They believe in a previous cycle, he was just a guy like one of us, kind of a Jesus figure in a previous world. Okay? Now, that is all... What do we call this kingdom? Is there another kingdom? Yes, fortunately. Which one is that? Who's the head of this kingdom? Well, look over here. Uh, Look at Revelation 12. Great sign in heaven, another sign in heaven, the red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, ten whatever the crowns are. His tail wipes out a third of the stars. The dragon tries to kill the Jesus and doesn't work. In chapter 12, verse 7, there's a war in heaven. Who are the two chief dudes? The dragon is who? Devil Satan, verse 9, makes that very clear. The ancient serpent of Genesis chapter 3. Who's on the other side? Michael. Okay. So coming back here, Michael. And there are angels under him. What are their names? We don't get names of those angels. There's only one other named angel in canonical scripture, and that's Gabriel. And he shows up and makes the announcement of Jesus. Uh, What nations are under these angels on the light side? They're not. They're not. Now, the first time I drew this, I drew it like this. Right or wrong? That's wrong. Why? Because Michael is not the head of the kingdom of light. Michael is not the head of the kingdom of light. Who is the head of the kingdom of light? Jesus. So, I've got to get rid of this, and we've got to redraw it. Whoops. We've got to redraw it like something like that. Michael is an important leader. He is the parallel to Satan. Jesus is not the parallel to Satan. Michael is an angel in here. And in the dominion or the kingdom of light, we have... Is this going to show up? Can you see that? Yeah. Who are these? Well, those are people, except they're not done like that. We can't do it that way. So we've got to get rid of that. And we kind of make this church. But we're not under Michael, we're under Yahweh. Let's see, head of the arrow should go down here, I guess. So, like, what are the angels there for? They're ministering servants. They're like servers in the divine restaurant. I mean, they're important, you're nice to them, you engage them. But if you're in the middle of an intense conversation in the server comes up to refresh your coffee, you don't include her in the conversation. You don't include him in the business that's at hand. Angels are like that. And they don't even get names. So they're even less important in some ways than servers in in the restaurant. Interesting picture here. Now, in the 
This picture is, by the way, I rarely, rarely see this. Most people don't believe that the gods are real beings. When I come back to Exodus chapter 20, and I talk about the no other gods, most people will interpret that as anything that stands for Jesus should stand. So what do you talk about? Money, power, sex, knowledge, those kind of privilege. Those are not the gods, I suggest. I mean, they can be. I think the gods really are spiritual beings. Because when I look in Scripture, just like we saw in Daniel chapter 10, we see that those gods are at war. They are powerful spiritual beings that have nations and ethnicities underneath them. And apparently there are other technical term, there are other critters called demons that are with them. Now, are you under the authority of Satan? Let me say it one more time. Are you under, as a Christian, as a member of the kingdom of light, are you under the authority of Satan? No. Say it louder. No. Thank you. Okay. Because what happens is a lot of people that do deliverance ministry say that if you commit a serious sin, you give Satan or demon legal right to invade and inhabit your being. Well-intended and disastrously wrong. Well-intended, disastrously wrong. So, when I look at this, uh, I'll fill this out later on. Are usins under the authority of the devil? Answer? No. Uh, we're not. Never uh, allow someone to say that sin give, sin gives some gives a demon legal right to invade, inhabit, whatever they use. A believer. Now, do people say that? They really do. And I, I think that's a serious, serious, serious mistake. Now, questions. Uh, let's take this up here. Are usins under the influence of the devil? Yes, we are. Uh, maybe I should say this. We can be. Uh, let's say it a little bit differently. Uh, are usins under the attack of the devil? Mm -hmm. Now this one you have to say yes. In fact, what I'm going to do is do this. Put in a little different order there. I... Uh, are we under the attack of the devil? Yes. Okay, now follow-up question. What sin allows a, a demon to attack? Most anything can. Do we 
have to sin to uh, have, let's say it differently. If a demon is attacking us, let's say harassing us, us, is it because we have sinned? Not necessarily. That's a good way to say it. Give me an example of somebody in Scripture who is under the attack of the devil who didn't sin. Okay, Job's a good one. Because even God says Job is a righteous dude. I'm thinking of the Sunday school answer, and the Sunday school answer is Jesus. Thank you. Where does... I'm running out of time here. I'd love to play with you a little bit more, but we've got to get down to some stuff. Matthew, what is where Jesus... Four. Mm-hmm. So Jesus and the devil have this little to-do. We could look at what the devil does to attack Jesus, and that'd be very cool. Uh, but we'll skip that because I'm running out of time. Let's talk about how Jesus attacked the devil. Because there's a warfare going on. Jesus is standing there. Satan is standing there. Satan takes a swing. Bang! How does Jesus fight back? What's Jesus' swing back? Mm-hmm. It is written, and what does he do? He quotes Deuteronomy. So, when a demon attacks, what did Jesus do? Did he uh, examine himself for sin? Now, it's good to look at yourself for sin, but it's amazing how people assume because a demon is harassing them in their room or something that there must have been a sin involved. There may not be any sin at all. Always look for sin. That's, a, that's important. But uh, not necessarily. He didn't do this. He didn't. Why? Because he's like prayed up and he had spent 40 days confessing sin there in the wilderness. No. But his response is to... Do what? He quotes Bible. Well-interpreted Bible. He didn't just take a big black Bible and throw it at Satan or hold it up like some divine talisman or something like that. He quotes well-interpreted scripture. He says, tell these stones to become bread. I think what he's doing is asking him to like play the God card. And Jesus has laid aside the God card. And he says, nobody's looking. Just have the stones to become bread. Could he do that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. He says, written, I'm going to trust Jesus. And this verse from Deuteronomy 8 talks about the whole manna story. There's all kinds of stuff. So he takes him to the holy city, highest point in the temple, and Jesus or Satan says, it is written. Can Satan quote scripture? Of course. Does that mean that he's right? No. How does Jesus respond back? Again, he quotes scripture. And he quotes a, another one from Deuteronomy. Don't put the Lord to the God at test. And then he, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and all their splendor, and he said, all of this I will give you. Could he do that? Could Satan give the kingdoms of the world 
and their splendor to Jesus? Jesus does not debate the question. Jesus does not debate the question. Now, Gary has an opinion. Gary has an opinion on most everything. Uh, but follow Jesus. And in this case, I never, never debate theology or experience with a demon. What happens a lot of times in deliverance ministries is people get into a discussion with a demon and you have to convince the demon that it's wrong. You have to get a lot of information and you discuss a lot of theology and experience with the demon when you're looking at the uh, what we call power encounter deliverance ministries. There are a lot of these around. I just used probably the best example from that power encounter and that's Chuck Craft, the Fuller School of World Mission. Now I profoundly disagree with Chuck on this material. But I have high respect for him. He's a huge man of God, loves Jesus, follows it faithfully, and he's wrong at this point, I say, with a certain opinion in my voice. But he does a lot of stuff where he interviews the demon, he binds it in the name of Jesus, commands it to tell the truth, and gets a lot of information from the demon, and he tries to persuade the demon you know, that it's wrong and all that kind of stuff. And, and Chuck does a lot of stuff that's not biblical. My pattern is, let's use the Bible for our pattern. So never, never, never debate theology or experience with a demon. Does Well, let me just skip that for a minute. I'm running out of time here. Jesus says uh, again, he says, it is written and quotes Deuteronomy again. But he does something else. What else does he do? What does he do here? Follow... Jesus, command the demon to get away now. Now, we probably should add, uh, add one thing. What's that? Why didn't Jesus say in Jesus' name? <laughs> yeah. Do we have to use the phrase in Jesus' name? Don't think so. Don't think so. I don't think we have to use magic phrases. The phrase in Jesus' name is a good phrase, got nothing against it, but you don't have to use that particular phrase. You could say, in Christ's name, I command you to get away. You could say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get away, you, or whatever. It's not the words, it's the truth behind it that counts. But if what do you say? In Jesus' name, you get away from me now. I think we should do that. Does the Bible ever command believers to tell the demon to get away? It does. Does the Bible ever command believers to cast demons out of other believers? It doesn't. And some people make a big deal out of that. I'm just going to skip that for now. But the Bible does tell us I'll just take you to it. One of my favorite verses is, i got a lot of favorite verses, James 4, 7. It says what? Submit yourself to God and what? Resist the devil. You know, it's really interesting when you look at this particular phrase, the word resist 
is used in a lot of places. It's used in, oh, it's used when Janus and Jambres and Moses. What word is used when we translate it there? Janus and Jambres what? Opposed Moses. When in Galatians chapter 2, Peter and Paul, they're in Antioch. In this passage, where is the resist word? It's the word here. I opposed him. How did Paul oppose Peter? He says to Peter in front of them all, he verbally accosts him. And this particular phrase, to resist, James 4, 7, Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist the devil because the devil is trying to eat you like lunch, but oppose him, push him away, rebuke him. It's interesting that in Ephesians 6, we're talking about this warfare, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're really not contending against people. We are contending against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces, evil, and heavenly realms. That's those gods, again, little g gods. So put on the full armor of God. That, by the way, is the characteristics of Messiah. NIV says you'll be able to stand your ground and everything else to stand. They have completely left out the resist word here because they made it so passive that it's left out. You have to go to New American Standard to, to find able to resist him in the evil day. New American Standard is going away. It's kind of too bad. ESV is the translation that's coming into that formal equivalent slot. I think it'll win, but I'm not a very good prophet. What does resist mean? The New Testament commands us to resist the devil and his demons. How do you do that? You push him away. Think of the Polish resistance in World War II. What did the Polish resistance do in World War II? They went after the Russian and Nazi oppressors in every way they could. We do the same thing. What are our weapons? Come back to, I mean, there's a lot of them, but one passage that really summarizes this well is Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him, what? With the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. The basic weapons, the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. And that's the thing. Now, let me just do two things here and then we'll go to our breakup groups. Another real passage of mine is Colossians 2.13. Now, a lot of this is in your book. I put that two-page summary in there. There's a lot of principles in there. Colossians 2.13, you begin what? You begin dead, just like Ephesians 2. Dead in your transgressions and sins. And in this, God has done seven things for us. What's the first thing that God does? Made us alive. What's the second thing God has done for us? What's the second thing God has done for us? Past, present, or future. Command, factor, promise. 
Past once or past still true? Past still true. How many sins? All. What's the third thing that he did? Canceled the written code. Now this is a this is a passage you look in ESV and you'll say he canceled the record of debt. Is it the record of debt or is it the whoops, Spanish isn't what I'm after here. <laughs> I, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Cancel the written code, which would be the law code that makes sin sin. I think Paul uses a term that intentionally has a double meaning. He's taken away the law, he's also taken away the written code. What's the fourth thing? He took it he canceled it, he took it away, knelt at the cross. What's the fifth thing? Disarmed the powers and authorities. They have no authority over us. Not even if you committed sin. If you're in the light, they have no authority over us. How come? The work of Jesus Christ were transferred in the kingdom of light. He made a public spectacle of them. What does that mean? He drug them through the streets. He judged the king of this world. He exposed them for what they are, and he finally what? Triumphed over. These are seven facts. Seven facts for everybody who's in the kingdom of light. What are they? Made us alive, forgave, canceled, took away, disarmed, public spectacle, triumphed. True for all believers. Now, here's the thing. Can we yield to the temptation or the deceit or the accusation of a demon? We can. We can. And we become so entrapped in that, we may need a lot of help to get out of that. How does he do it? Primarily by lies, subtle lies. Like what? You know, if you've done sin like that, you'll never amount to anything in the kingdom of God. You say, yeah, that's right. You just agreed with Satan. You just put a stronghold in your mind. Second Corinthians 10.5. What do you do? You attack those in the name of Jesus. You attack those in the name of Jesus. When a demon shows up, and they do in different kinds of ways, what do you do? What did Jesus do? He what? Quoted well-interpreted scripture, relevant scripture, and get away. And then he went to the angels. I do this with four-year-olds. I teach four-year-olds what to do when something dark shows up in the room at night. What do you do? When something scary comes up in the room, what do you teach your four-year-old child to do? Quote scripture, have them write it down, then what? Command it to go away in the name of Jesus and then go to Jesus, whatever that means. It may be going to mommy. It may be going to a, a scripture storybook or something like that. But see, what I want to do is I want believers in Jesus Christ to have confidence that we're kingdom people. We have the authority to tell the demons to get away. We have the authority to tell people your sins are forgiven, all forgiven. We have the authority, I don't care what they've done in the past, we have the authority to tell them you are not under the authority of Satan. I don't care what kind of blood ritual you may have done in the, in the group. You are not under the authority of Satan. 
You don't have to yield to his stuff anymore. But he'll hurt me. He may. He may. But you don't have to yield to him. You go to Jesus, and we have the authority of Jesus Christ. We are kingdom people, and when we give the gospel to people, we are in war with the gods, little g, who are in charge of this world. But the Prince of Peace has come. And he has, well, let me look at it. John chapter 12. John 12, 31 is one of the places. Now is the time for the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be what? Driven out. Uh, John 16, 8, you know the passage. He comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In verse 11, what's the judgment? The prince of this world stands condemned. The rulers of darkness are disarmed. But we can't just ignore them. They're very real. And as the pagan religions have more and more impact on our society, we're going to have more and more direct involvement in demons, and we've got a lot of lies, a lot of lies, a lot of lies. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you would pursue us into darkness and bring us into the kingdom of your light. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to step out of heaven to come to this realm of darkness to bring light. And the darkness cannot understand, cannot overcome the light. Thank you for disarming the powers and authorities. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us truth, for transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Triune God, we're so glad to participate in your life. Grant us the confidence to move ahead even when the warfare gets strong. And at the times when we're kind of blissfully ignorant and unaware of what's going on, help us to see the truth of who you are in the corrosiveness of this dark world. Let us never to lose the truth of the gospel and its transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will enlighten our minds, Holy Spirit, to the truth of Jesus Christ for the sake of the love of the Father. Amen.